Pastor Dave Bennett, um, Professor Dave Bennett from uh, from Trinity Bible College. Um, he's a good friend of uh, Pastor Kevin's, um, and uh, so he is a, a professor and administrator at Trinity. They are have been there since 95, I believe, um, and so they are, they're used to this weather as well, so it's, uh, anyway, so it's my ple- pleasure to introduce Pastor Dave, uh, and his wife Rose is here with him this morning, so I'll let him introduce a little bit more of themselves as, as he comes, so it's Pastor Dave. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to be with you today. And I have to say, this is a friendly place. My goodness, is it this way all around Carrington? Or is it just the church? Anyway, God's people ought to be friendly. And what a nice welcome we received in various places that we came through the door. I enjoyed that very much. Um, It's good to be here today. And uh, Pastor Kevin and Becky are really favorite people of ours because um, they came through the college at about the same time our children were coming through Trinity Bible College, and one of my daughters was a roommate to Becky, and also Becky served me so well in my office as one of my secretary crew people, and also as a team leader. She, she's an amazingly creative person, uh, doing human videos, drama, set to music, and helped out in a number of ways with um, ministry ideas. So I'm privileged to be here in the pulpit and just have to say that Kevin and Becky are some of the most consistent, faithful, um, ethical people that you will meet, but there's also a creativity there and a, there's definitely a strong um, um, connection to God's word and adhering to it and preaching it faithfully. So I am blessed to be here and to take their place, if you will, if that's possible this morning. Uh, I'm also excited that uh, your pastor and his wife and some of your uh, folks here are uh, on an Indian reservation today at um, the name of the place, SH Fort Yakes. There we go. Yes. And Selfridge. Um, I grew up on an Indian reservation as my parents are, are missionaries to the Native American people. And um, uh, Pastor Randy and, Randy and Hazel Hani are good friends of ours, too. Um, they were just some of the most amazing students at Trinity Bible College and led a, a ministry team for me that I was uh, an evangelism team and, and other areas, too. So very blessed that all that's happening together on this Sunday. And I was happy to have a Sunday free open to be able to respond to the call and to be here. Really, as I came through the doors, actually out of the parking lot walking up here, uh, a over 45-year-old memory came to my mind. I hate to say that my wife and I are actually over 45, but yes, we are. And 45 years ago, I was probably 20 years old and uh, came here, it was probably 46 years ago or so, when the church was quite new, came through those doors as a part of a traveling music team from Trinity Bible College in Ellendale, North Dakota. And um, we enjoyed uh, this fine facility and and the fellowship. And honestly, I have have friends with the last name of Seibold, which is probably a connection for some of you who are here at least. Uh, Sue Seibold was on that trip undoubtedly, and 
Uh, Phyllis Seibel was my older sister's roommate. But a little trip down the memory road, that's a little, maybe a little too far away in the past. But I know I connected with a few of you as I did that. So um, I'm not really here to promote Trinity Bible per se, but to bring the Bible, which is our middle name, to you. And I will do that in just a, a few minutes. Um, but I want to mention to you that there are a lot of exciting things happening at your Bible college. And uh, North Dakota is the greatest supporters of Trinity Bible College. Truth is, about 75% of our support comes from North Dakota. Our largest number of students are from North Dakota as well. And uh, if we do a quiz and have all the North Dakota pastors stand up and their spouses who are from Trinity Bible College, it will be a host, a huge majority of the pastors across your state. And um, we have this deep connection uh, that we're very grateful to. The church I pastored, Watford City, uh, has a pastoral staff that is loaded with Trinity Bible College people as well. Uh, but some amazing things are happening at Trinity. And I lead a program called Accelerate, which is a pastoral mentoring program for youth pastors, children's pastors, lead pastors, church planters, uh, chaplains, whatever they might be, all things pastoral. And I um, help recruit them. I mentor them along the way. And they actually finish a BA. And then after a year out in ministry leadership um, in a role in a church, have finished up and a Master of Arts degree. And so I have a, some students coming back for graduation Saturday of this week. They'll be graduating with a Master of Arts degree and they're young pastors. That's exciting. I also have BA pastors. Uh, they're in their, at the end of their fourth year and they have half of a Master of Arts degree finished. And um, that puts them in a really good position in terms of being well-prepared. Um, having taken some advanced classes, and these are really cream of the crop people, and um, I am honored to be a part of that. But I also just came back from Israel just two weeks ago, and so uh, when we talk about the empty tomb and the cross and all that, pow, 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 you know, there are uh, images in my mind of the places I went to and walked and saw where Jesus walked and I swam in the Sea of Galilee every night. It was a little bit cool, um, but uh, great to think, yeah, Peter swam here. I bet Jesus swam here too. Uh, <clears throat> Pack Your Bags is one of the programs that Trinity Bible College has, and I taught am teaching the class on Israel, uh, Bible geography and culture, and so I was able to travel with them for a 10-day venture there but they traveled the world and came from different uh, uh, countries of the world to join me there in Israel. And they go to an Indian reservation, an um, inner city, and uh, to a camp and retreat and various uh, things that they do. It's, a, it's kind of extreme discipleship that they are involved in in a healthy way, I want to add. And um, just a, a very growthy time. And uh, one wonderful thing... Um, a number of the students are not from a Assemblies of God or Charismatic or Pentecostal background, and every one of them on that group, 15 of them, has been uh, 
filled with God's Holy Spirit and are, are just functioning in, in the way God wants them to, in gifts of the Spirit that are growing within their lives. So it's a real pleasure to be with these freshmen. That's kind of a gap year program, we call it. It's um, uh, one year of their life given to, um, to finding out God's will and God's plan for their lives and building friendships. And every one of them is coming back to the college in the fall, so we're excited about that. Uh, as well as entering some kind of ministry program or um, leadership program, support role within the church and community, serving God in various ways. We have a very healthy uh, education program as well that's really growing and busting at the seams, and even programs like exercise science, international entrepreneurship, where you can, as some of our graduates are doing, have a coffee shop in a country on the other side of the world whose name I cannot give, and um, serve people and bring them to Jesus Christ in a relationship way. Uh, so besides the traditional types of things, uh, we have some interesting programs and are exploring some brand new ones, and we're really upping the ante when it comes to worship and tech ministry, support roles. I have a son who is the major videography at videographer at a church uh, in Sioux Falls. It has five campuses, and uh, he is on the staff full-time doing videography and a little music on the side. So there are all kinds of ways in which we may serve God and be a part of a team in a community, whether it's a business person or an education person or uh, some role in leadership within the church. <clears throat> hey, I've covered a lot. But uh, let me transition into the thoughts I wanted to give to you. Um, it was about 45 years ago that my wife and I decided to tie the knot. And that fall, she under, began to understood, she from a farm background, uh, began, began to understood what uh, figure trigger uh, itch is. That uh, there's just something about my trigger finger that just wanted to pull um, the trigger on my gun in the fall, be it October, November, December, whatever, get out in the fields. And so very early on, she found that I enjoyed hunting. And I actually, while pastoring at Watford City, had a kennel where I raised and trained hunting dogs. So you know, let's get my Springer Spaniel or my English Cocker from field bread lines out there in the field, sweeping back and forth within me. I'd rather hunt with a dog than a gun if I had to choose between the two. So it's amazing. So here he is sweeping the field in North Dakota, and up flies a pheasant. You know how they fly up. They stun you every time it happens, just as they fly up. And um, the landing gear lifts up after a few flaps of the, those wings with hollow bones. And um, as they fly up, sometimes I hit them, sometimes I don't. So there's my hunting dog. He's rock solid, and bam, I miss the pheasant. He's looking back at me saying, what's wrong, boss? Can't you hit? You know? And um, I send him on again for another sweep. And maybe we come to a pothole and there's a, a duck or two or three or ten out on the water. And it's amazing how ducks differ from pheasants, right? Um, ducks have webbed feet that enables them to paddle. They got this crazy bill on them. I saw some in the waterways as I was coming along, the slews and all that on my way here. Uh, reaching under the surface, you know, they're eating aquatic um, uh, greens underneath the surface. But then if you spook them up to fly, 
they're even faster still than the pheasant, and they may be flying at 65 or even breaking the speed limit at 70 miles per hour. So God made them aerodynamically shaped for their long migrations all the way south to who knows where, Mexico, perhaps. And I saw the hunters out in the fields who were following the migration of the snow geese, and I was saying, I'd love to be out there if it was a different day of the week. Continuing on my hunt, maybe I come to some trees and as I'm, my dog's guy's nose to the ground, but up in the tree, there might be a squirrel. So he's got these four long toes and a, a crazy tail that helps him balance as he jumps from branch to branch and runs along and does hairy carry uh, activities, um, suicidal almost, up there in the trees. And the thought comes to my mind that the world of nature around us confirms the intentional creativity of a master designer. Now, many of us have met that master designer, haven't we? God is the master designer, and it shouldn't surprise us that God, who made these lesser creatures so perfectly designed for their function and role in this world, though I've yet to figure out what good mosquitoes have, you know, what, why God made them, I'm still scratching my head on that one, uh, the Minnesota state bird, as we know. Shouldn't surprise us that God who made these lesser creatures so fit and designed appropriately for their purposes has created us uniquely fit too for what he had in mind, the specific purpose God had in mind. So I'm convinced that God has created us with a specific purpose in mind. He planned the contribution that we would make to our world and he designed us uniquely placing in us a blend of natural abilities we had from the moment we were born, even before that, um, <clears throat> a personality that's unique to us, um, spiritual gifts that accompany the new birth and the baptism of the Holy Spirit as well, um, a, and, and experiences that come along the way that are unique to us and define who we are and maybe even what we would do, and also a passion for something or someone, some group of people. He blended that all together, and all he asks is that we discover who we are and lay hold of what God designed us for. And that's really what uh, Paul was writing about when he said, not that I've already obtained all this or have already um, been made perfect, but I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. You see, he's laid hold of us for a purpose, and we need to lay hold of that purpose and fulfill it, accomplish it in our lives. <clears throat> so here's the big idea today. God created you on purpose, for a purpose, to serve him according to your God-given design. On purpose, for a purpose. That's what Paul was speaking about when he wrote Ephesians 2.10. Would you like to turn with me in your Bible to that New Testament verse? Ephesians 2, verse number 10. We're going to explore this one verse, basically, together and get a handle on what God's saying about you and me through it. It's a powerful verse, and I, I think uh, God has a relevant message for each one of us in some way or other, I think this is going to touch your life 
and uh, enlighten you, hopefully encourage you, and maybe take you one step further on your journey for Christ. Ephesians 2.10 in the New International Version says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Well, God says three amazing things about you in Ephesians 2.10. And the first amazing thing God says is this, that you are a masterpiece. That's right. For we are God's workmanship. We are God's work of art. That's a masterpiece. So I'd like you to turn to your neighbor and say, you are a masterpiece. Okay, go ahead and do it. You are a masterpiece. Yeah, I notice, you know, sometimes when I say that, like I, I preached this sermon in Valentine, Nebraska on Valentine's weekend. I had a little trouble pulling some of those couples apart. They were uh, kind of going a little further than just, you are a masterpiece. Love to listen to what some of those special words are, were. But that's good, because God loves it when married people, especially and whatever, love each other and express that to one another. <laughs> in my early years as a young pastor, a mile-high community in Montana, south of Bozeman, there was a cowboy artist that attended our church. My wife and I got to see his art um, studio in his house, and there he had uh, works that were finished, that had been produced, and people had on their walls in their homes, but he had the original. Um, or he had some that were just ideas in his mind and just barely sketched out in a pencil sketch. But I noticed one thing that was common about all these, completed or in process, regardless of, of the stage, each one of them was conceived in my friend's mind before it ever took shape on the canvas. Later, when we moved from that church to Watford City, North Dakota, the church gave to us a painting of our favorite mountain, and we had the um, unique privilege of having been driving along on a, a mountain road and just happened to see the artist painting the picture of um, Fan Mountain, which was our favorite, and now it's hanging in our bedroom. Something very special about that. Because of the personal attention and time the artist spent on that piece of art, it has special value. It's one of a kind. It's signed by that artist and dated. And um, I have to say that God is the artist that's at work in your life and mind. And what his fingers touch can't help but be valuable. Take that to heart. What God's fingers touch can't help but be valuable. You're a masterpiece, and you have God's word on it. So let's take a look at this. God's word showing you the truth about it. Ephesians 2.10 says, workmanship. You're God's workmanship. And that can be translated as creation or work of art. It comes from the Greek word, Poema, from which we get the word, it's on your lips, poem. That's right, poem. You are God's creative poem. I love the worship team and all they're doing up here. Music, Psalm 117, praise the Lord all ye nations, extol him ye peoples, is a poem to God that somebody, <laughs> a long time ago, 2,000, 3,000 years ago pretty much, 
wrote to God, and we're singing it yet today. You are a poem. You're God's creative work of art, and it's present continuous. It's ongoing. Just as a potter shapes a vessel of clay with his hands, God's at work shaping your life and my life. God creates us like he made the first man and woman in the image of God. Some people are sort of getting that all mixed up. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Uh, God wasn't confused about anything at all. Genesis chapter 2.7 says, The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So God stoops down to make people, humanity. And um, he's very involved in the creative act. I'm turning over to Psalm 139, which is a poem and a musical piece that David wrote in Psalm 139. If you look beginning at verse number 13, take a look at what God says about the creative act. It says, and I notice five words that talk about God specifically being deeply involved in the creation of humans. Here it is, Psalm 139, 13. For you created my inmost being, created. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, fashioned. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made, created, in the secret place, the mother's womb. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand, and when I awake, you are still with me. I want you to know that God knows us so intimately that he knows every thought. And for those who are confused about their, even their sexuality, God cares, God understands, and God's yet and still at work within their lives, helping them to be the creations that he made them to be. But I see those words knit and woven together. One of those words is, uh, the weaving together, use of the weaving together of the temple, uh, the tabernacle, I should say, um, coverings. <clears throat> Stitching together. My grandmother uh, promised me an afghan for high school. I saw her working on it the summer before my senior year. Guess what? She sent me a graduation card and some money inside of it. And she said, uh, Dave, the afghan is not done yet. And she was still knitting my afghan because I had another cousin who was graduating in 1975 too. And so she was making two afghans that year. But when I went to Trinity Bible College in Eldale, North Dakota, a box arrived and there was this knit blanket for me, thousands, probably tens of thousands of stitches, each one lovingly made from my grandmother to me. Now, if that wouldn't keep you warm on a winter, cold winter day in North Dakota, you know, what would? Grandma's woven afghan. It doesn't happen overnight, the weaving of an afghan. Anybody here uh, put together uh, blankets, um, 
Quilts, yeah, we have a quilter, great. It's astounding what can happen and the care and attention that happens. God says, I'm like the quilter of your life. I weave it together. I'm designing something, and you can't tell for sure what it's like sometimes from the underside, but there's a purpose that you can see on the upper side. God's perspective. So we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God stoops down to make us, knit us together. You're a masterpiece. The word confirms it, but creation also confirms it. In the first five days of creation, God said, it is good. He kept on saying that for five days. But on the sixth day, he made human, humanity. And guess what God said? He said, it is very good. Or like a little kid said in a Sunday school program, very, very good. He was pretty enthusiastic about this word from God. It was very, very good to him. And when God made mankind, he said, it is very, very good. This is the crowning of my creation. Don't worry about the UFOs and uh, <laughs> aliens. People are the crowning act of God's creation. <clears throat> medical doctor Paul Brand writes about DNA, the blueprint of the creation of the Bible body, that every microscopic cell contains a genetic code so complete that the entire body could be reassembled from the information in any one cell. That's right. Um, and each one-cell embryo, something from a dad, something from a mom, comes together and creates a one-cell embryo that we cannot see. And guess what? That cell has the entire instruction book of 100,000 genes. Now, the DNA, the one string of it that's in that little microscopic cell that you cannot see, is six feet long. And it carries instructions for over 600 muscles, 2 million optic nerves, 1 billion nerve cells, in fact, DNA is estimated to contain instructions that, if written out, would fill a thousand 600-page books. That's more than a lawyer's library. Yeah, to, just to describe you, how you look, how you would think, how you would act, why your eye blinks, and why you scratch your head, hey, all of that. It's there, written in that one cell that came together that began to multiply and create other cells. How amazing is that? <clears throat> well, it is so amazing that um, consider the complexity of the human eye. Just the eye, 100, uh, Siri was ready. Yeah. There's an app for that, and you'll need to download it. Siri just told me. <laughs> I think the last time I preached that, at that same spot, Siri was answering me. I turned, turned it off, but hey, wonderful to have that affirmation. You know, somebody's got to say amen, right? <laughs> so Siri's there to, to help me preach. Hey, um, <clears throat> yeah, the human eye, how complex is it? 107 million cells function together to send messages to the brain saying that somebody today is wearing red. Somebody today is wearing blue, purple, you know. I can see all this because that's working in my eye. And yet we used to live just outside Yellowstone Park in Montana. 
And when we'd visit the park, it was crazy because people would come from all over the world. You would hear the languages of the nations there. And these folks are looking through their binoculars with their nice Nikon cameras, click, click, click. And um, what they didn't realize is that the human eye that they were looking through at Old Faithful or the Yellowstone Canyon is more fantastic than the thing they were observing. Isn't that amazing? Here's how Augustine said it uh, 400 years after Christ. He said, Men go abroad to wonder at the heights of the mountains, the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of rivers, the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motion of the stars, and they pass by themselves without wondering. Microscope, it hadn't been invented yet. Augustine hit the nail on the head. You are the crowning creation. And God hasn't just made you physically fantastic. There are other aspects of it. They're amazing. So what are the chances there's another you out there somewhere? A student gave me a picture of a man who looks like me. And yes, he looks more like my brother than my brother looks like me. But I researched and found this guy's name and researched, and I found that he was a high roller in Las Vegas, owns casinos, into politics, and has lots of money. Definitely not Dave Bennett, (laughs) okay? So he may look like me, I may look like him, but we are worlds apart. You see, the truth is that you have a unique footprint, a unique fingerprint, a unique voice print, a unique eye print, a unique ear print, and a unique heartbeat. And you've got a spiritual heart that beats for one thing, something special. God's placed in you. We call that passion. So I believe that not only do we have a physical DNA that would say what your body's like, how you're going to think, how you're going to act, programs you, sets you apart from everyone else, but you have a spiritual DNA as well, a spiritual identity that's different than anybody else. So God packed your bags on purpose. He placed in you natural abilities. He placed in you a personality. He placed um, in you um, um, spiritual gifts after becoming a believer in Jesus. Uh, He took you through some defining experiences in life that are different than others and um, has given to you a passion for something. Um, that God wants you to fulfill. He's put it in you for a reason. These factors make you a unique profile, different than anybody else. You are then a -a one-of-a-kind masterpiece, even in a spiritual sense. So physically, true. Spiritually speaking, and God's designing your life, making you fit for something to do, you are unique. So what are the implications of you being a masterpiece in all these ways. Well, why would God go the trouble of shaking, shaping you so uniquely if he didn't have something special for you to do? So you must explore uh, who, how he has designed you in order to discover his purpose even better uh, than before. And would the master designer who created you so uniquely in the womb and take you through these experiences end his creative work in your life? At birth? I think not. And the Philippians 1.6 says that he who began 
a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day. Um, how thankful we should be that God's involved in every area of our lives. So I say, you have God's fingerprints all over you. Unmistakable. You have God's fingerprints all over you. You are a masterpiece. Now, <clears throat> how many of you would raise your hand with me and say, you are a minister? You are a minister. Would anybody raise your hands and say, I'm a minister? Okay, it, there are a few. I see about three hands going up, maybe four. So uh, the next thought I want to bring to you is that you are a minister. For God's word says this, that you are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Doing good works is ministry. So this is mind-blowing, but I would like you to tell your friends sitting beside you, your family member, whatever, you are a minister, okay? Go ahead and say, you are a minister. Believe it or not, <laughs> you are a minister. Now let's explore that together. Um, I want you to imagine what a high school football game would be like if the athletes and fans expected the coaches to do it all. Okay, let's reconstruct that in our minds. Um, there's a similar mindset in the church that considers ministry to be the responsibility of paid professionals. Pastor Kevin and Becky, right? To, to really apply it right down home. Okay. But uh, so here's the church in that model, um, like the high school football game where the coaches are do it all. Did you see pastor throw that block? Wow, that's so amazing. See pastor make that tackle? Isn't he great on defense? Wow, do you see pastor throw that ball? Do you see him make that great handoff? Did you see pastor make that touchdown and that field goal? And we're shouting, go pastor, go. Go Kevin, go. Go Becky, go. And the whole church is totally behind them. That's a good thing that the church is behind um, the pastors. But I think you see the absurdity of what I'm pointing to, right? So here we go on a little journey. And uh, I've got your pastor's uh, approval to preach this, okay? Heresy lights going off, right? <laughs> well, it's kind of like um, a farmhouse dinner where everybody stays around the dinner table. It's noon, then it's 1 o'clock, then it's 2 o'clock, then it's 3 o'clock. About time for coffee time again, you know? And God wants his children to push back from the farmhouse dinner table and to get out in the fields, up on the tractor, combine, whatever, out where the work is on the farm. Let's look then at the word minister.